This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello and welcome to Rock and Roll Politics, the podcast with me, Steve Richards. Thank you for tuning in wherever you are around the country and the world. Uh, now, I pledged a second podcast uh, earlier in the week, and of course, I stick to my pledges. And I also said, <clears throat> so I'm not going to completely stick to the pledge, that it would be partly the space to uh, read out some more of your brilliant questions, uh, because they've been pouring in. And I didn't have time to get to that many earlier in the week with so many things whirling around. Um, but uh, there is the second podcast, but it's going to be quite short and there's so much going on. I just thought I'd uh, offer you a few reflections and then we'll get together uh, early next week uh, with uh, more time for questions, including some of those I didn't have time to read out uh, on Monday stroke Tuesday, whenever you get the podcast, depending whether you're on the Patreon version or the other regular version. Uh, so yeah, let's go straight into it. Now, the other twist in my pledge was I thought I would be reflecting on Johnson and the COVID inquiry. And I will reflect a bit on that because in its own way, it was extraordinarily compelling. Uh, almost as a piece of theatre, but of course with significance. Um, but before that, we've had more uh, Tory internal dramas. Uh, the resignation of the immigration minister as their latest attempt to deal with Rwanda, a bill that he would have been theoretically navigating through the Commons, is uh, another twist which has the same kind of contours as some of the Brexit revolts under Theresa May, to the point where certainly at Westminster on the night of that resignation, uh, it followed Suella Braverman making a so-called resignation speech, uh, no doubt coordinated. Jenrick would have said to her, the bill's not right, make your point in a resignation speech as part of a clearly thought-through strategy to undermine Sunak because if they don't think the bill will work, whether they block it or not is kind of neither here nor there. It's aimed at the leadership of Sunak. Uh, and this has triggered speculation that there might be an early election, uh, etc. Uh, or even indeed the fall of Sunak, that uh, this uh, uh, Tory party has become even more unleadable and the unleadable party is being led by someone incapable of leading. Uh, I suspect almost the reverse conclusion has to be drawn, uh, that far from an earlier election looming, uh, it remains even more likely uh, that he has to go a bit longer and will have the space to do so if he chooses to. And uh, here's why. First of all, the Conservative Parliamentary Party, it should be observed, 
is uh, more unruly now than in the build-up to the 1997 election, where a key factor in the slaughter of John Major and the landslide for New Labour was the lack of discipline and unity in the Conservative Party over Europe. The intensity of that division was kind of in the mid-90s, 94, 95, over the Maastricht Treaty and other Europe-related issues. But even in the build-up to the 1997 election campaign, and indeed during it, uh, John Major struggled to keep his party in any kind of uh, professional, disciplined form. There were, if you remember, Major had to go to Europe and pretend to fight a beef war for British beef and uh, in an attempt to please the right, it was all an affectation. There was no beef war to speak of, but he declared a beef war, I think it was in 97. Uh, It might have been in the autumn of 96 uh, where he declared this beef war and the papers, union jacks everywhere, and it gave Major a brief pause as the Eurosceptic right celebrated this kind of defiant move and so on, went nowhere. Incidentally, Tony Blair, who knew it was all absurd, pretended to support the beef war. Such are the contortions of uh, being in opposition as a Labour Party, trying to work out where the sort of patriotic path to power lies. Um... He had to do all sorts of other things. During the election campaign itself in 1997, he had to plead with his own party at an election press conference, please don't bind my hand over Europe. He was referring to the negotiations over the next treaty coming up uh, in the unlikely event that he were to win. So the Tory party has changed during the 1990s and has become... Uh, the unleadable party, more so than Labour. Labour is a dysfunctional party on many, many levels. But the Tory party is uh, uh, more unruly, uh, less willing to be disciplined uh, than Labour. And people who witnessed Labour in the 70s and the 80s never thought they would utter that sentence uh, when Labour were tearing themselves apart in a very public way and the Tories were more or less keeping a public facade of unity and discipline. But that is what has happened. Uh, It remains remarkable that with months to go before a general election, Sunak's flagship proposals, which are themselves an absurd set of policies, which we'll go into in a minute, and a context which is bonkers. But nonetheless, this was framed largely aimed at pleasing the hard right of his party, the sort of English nationalist right of the party, who are less bothered about international... Well, not bothered about it. They, they think international law should be bypassed. Um, no, it didn't go that far, hence the resignation of Jenrick and the outrage of Braverman. But it goes pretty damn far. And still we get the uproar. However... Uh, The interesting thing about being Prime Minister, one of the many interesting things, is that even when you are losing all control, and Sunak is losing all control in many different ways, 
he has lost control of a of establishing a feasible kind of narrative about his government. He is trapped on this ridiculous boats issue. Now, Prime Ministers become trapped for lots of reasons, and some of them are kind of unavoidable. So there is no doubt. Of course, there is an issue about all these poor, desperate people on the whole, getting these boats, risking their lives, coming here in vast numbers to a country with some of the worst public services in the sort of in Europe, frankly. And although, of course, we need migration to help staff the under-resourced public services with chronic labour shortages, the vast numbers arriving are going to make demands on public services that just can't be met at the moment. So there is an issue, and there's no doubt uh, it comes high up when candidates, MPs, canvas their voters and indeed opinion polls, the boats, and of course in those famous focus groups. Although, of course, if people are asked about boats, they don't say, oh yeah, that's great. So, so there is an issue. Of course there's an issue. It's a, as demanding an issue, the movements of people around a deeply unstable world, whether it's to do with climate or tyrants or uh, whatever. And it's a global challenge and can only be dealt with globally as the financial crash was in 2008, the equivalent economic global challenge. This, of course, is partly economic as well. So it is massive. And yet Sunak in uh, claiming to stop the boats, has trapped himself as well, because the boats aren't going to be stopped, in inverted commas. And then in focusing on Rwanda, he has further incarcerated himself on lots of levels again. First of all, we all know the Rwanda scheme was rushed out by Boris Johnson as part of Operation Save Black Dog. Big Dog? Black Dog? Both are appropriately absurd. When he was struggling to stay in number 10. It was rushed and clearly hadn't been thought through uh, when he made the announcement. We know that from the Supreme Court judgment, which was not just about the uh, European Convention on Human Rights, it was about a whole range of laws, including domestic law, that the Rwanda proposition challenged. And yet, when that Supreme Court judgment came through, Sunak was in too weak a position to accept it. He must be smart enough to know that even if they got the go-ahead for this silly, dangerous scheme and expensive scheme, it would address... You know, you're talking about a small proportion of these boat people being flown out. But more than that, such was the definitive nature of that court case. Uh, he must have known the near impossibility of framing legislation uh, that meets the internal demands of the Tory party on both sides, those that uh, respect international law, those who don't give a damn about international law, and then there was the further twist that it's the Rwanda government who has insisted on a deal which keeps within international law. As many have commented, but it is worth reiterating, it is Rwanda that has stopped the British government from breaking international 
law? Which is the rogue government? Which government can be trusted more in an international context? Quite extraordinary. So there he is with this bill, uh, which tries to deal with many of the issues raised by the Supreme Court without breaking international law, because there would be no deal. Rwanda wouldn't have signed up to it. And yet this is not enough for some on his unruly right. And let's be careful about the terminology. Sunak is a figure of the right. But there are people further to the right who... uh, Sunak is on the right with Cameron as respecters of international law and institutions, as I think... uh, So they're closer to Thatcher than uh, Braverman and those who are going to follow her. But anyway, it's not enough, clearly, for Braverman and uh, Robert Jenrick, who has been on this curious political journey for reasons that only he will fully understand as a kind of pragmatic, personally ambitious politician who would twist and turn for personal ambition to some extent, but has now gone the whole way. Who knows, perhaps he is wholly sincere in believing that this won't work and by doing something that would have broken international law uh, and wouldn't have been accepted by the Rwanda government somehow or other would be accepted. But the fact that he has resigned opens the door, obviously, to others who might be tempted to uh, rebel in a similar fashion. So far, as I'm recording, there haven't been other resignations of that sort, and the other wing of the party, uh, the more pragmatic uh, wing when it comes to (laughs) things like breaking international law, you can't believe you're sort of talking like this, really, about a Tory government have uh, indicated that they are going to back the legislation. And it has become partly a symbolic battle against the Braverman wing of the Tory party, for the so-called One Nation figures. And and therefore they will back a bill. I know some of them are horrified by the bill, and rightly so. But they will back it partly because the Bravmans of the world say it doesn't go far enough. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. So where does that leave Sunak and the possibility that he cannot really govern much further? Uh, in the same way that Boris Johnson fighting for his life in the summer of uh, last year realised in the end he couldn't even appoint a government and it was only at that point that he resigned. Well, I think in this case we are nowhere near that position. You know, Sunak is deeply unpopular now within the parliamentary party and we know amongst party members he came bottom of the Conservative home whole of cabinet ministers and they are read obsessively by everyone in the cabinet including Rishi Sunak and that of course insecurity feeds on itself 
and he starts doing things which are aimed at uh, kind of boosting his internal popularity as well as uh, trying desperately to do something that changes those opinion polls that are bound to torment a leader who finds he is miles behind in the polls. But even in these kind of weak situations, uh, Prime Ministers hold quite a few cards, and I suspect if he needs to do so, he will play them. So if it looks as if there's going to be a big revolt against this legislation, I think it will become a confidence issue. In other words, if uh, the government loses, he will regard it as a vote of confidence and uh, the government falls, at which point, as MPs have said privately, uh, enough of them will back it to get it through. Now, there is talk that after that, there will be an attempt to have a vote of confidence in Sunak's leadership. That's quite possible. Say Tory MPs are in an unruly mood or in a deeper unruly mood. But that wouldn't lead, of course, to a general election. If he were to lose that vote of confidence, which is unlikely, there would be another mad leadership contest and a leader in place in the lead up to a general election, a new leader. Just uttering the words that conjure up that scene suggests to me it's not going to happen. Uh, the Conservative Party is now, as I say, a kind of battleground, and a lot can go on in a battleground, but I suspect not that. They will recognise that the removal of another Prime Minister with the clock ticking towards the election is crazy. And Sunak needs to get the legislation through the Commons and then, frankly, uh, the temperature for him goes down a bit. Because if the Lords uh, challenge bits of the legislation, as they surely will and should, he can blame the House of Lords. It won't be about his party or the intangible nature of this whole mad Rwanda project. It will be a battle with the lords and the elite, and then if the courts try anything, it will be a battle with the judges and the lawyers, and Starmer's a lawyer, and he's opposed to this, and it will give him the space at some point to try and reignite, I suspect, without success, that old kind of Brexit in regards to the boats, whether these bloody planes fly to Rwanda or not, he has a cause for an election. But that doesn't necessarily mean it will be an early election. I still think, assuming he is Prime Minister, and whatever his MPs are doing and misbehaving, and remember, another of the many levers a Prime Minister has is he can decide, really, what stuff comes into the House of Commons. Beyond Rwanda, on this he is trapped, has chosen to be trapped. Uh, but on other items, he can avoid kind of things which uh, will trigger contentious revolts. The House of Commons won't sit that much more after, uh, you, you, whenever the election is held. Say it's October. There will be a long Easter recess. There will be Whitson half-term recess. Uh, a prime minister or government can then decide on a very long summer recess. So... The MPs are unruly, but they won't be around that much to be unruly. So I suspect that 
if you think an election is more likely in the autumn, uh, as I have done, uh, that remains the case, that the government will stagger on and Sunak will stagger on in the hope that something turns up. More broadly, we are in a crazy situation. Think of those NHS waiting lists. Think about those poor sods who each day arrive at a train station uncertain whether they'll be able to get to work because the trains aren't running. The school buildings that were about to fall down in the autumn. You, you, you know, here we have a country, HS2 now cancelled. All the consequences of Brexit, acute labour shortages being a cause of the uh, sclerotic nature of economic growth in this country and about to worsen with uh, the government's current proposals. All these things of urgent demanding urgent attention and all political energy now is going to be sucked up on trying to get a flight out to Rwanda with a few of these boat people on it and they only need that one flight for it to be hailed by the mail the express and so on as a triumph will it become a big election issue yeah it will they'll make it one and so will the newspapers yet yeah, look at those opinion polls of uh, 20 points ahead. But um, uh, he, I think, Sunak will, if he gets it through the Commons, use it. So it could actually return to be one of his themes, even though it has caused him such nightmarish problems in uh, recent times and hours. As for the very important COVID inquiry that suddenly became buried uh, by the dramas being played out yet again uh, within the Conservative Party at Westminster. Uh, I found it very interesting. Johnson himself, his persona was uh, curious to watch. Uh, he, 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 On one level, he's a bit like Blair. They are both performers and both have a, a capacity to have a great messianic faith in their own political abilities and to compartmentalise. So Johnson looked um, humbled uh, deliberately, clearly. Maybe he was, you never know, as Tony Blair did when he was interrogated by Chilcot, you know, over Iraq, these cinematic moments where prime ministers who... Uh, you know, you saw uh, making these decisions and explaining these decisions in the pomp of number 10 at those press conferences in both cases, Blair and Johnson. Uh, Johnson daily with COVID, Blair often with Iraq. And there they were being questioned with a great forensic intensity for a long period of time. As um, no doubt when it's over, as with Tony Blair, rediscovered his faith in his own qualities and never really doubted them during the interrogation of Chilcot. And I suspect Johnson, when his is over, will contemplate again the return to uh, politics. But what is even clearer, although it has always been obvious, 
is, uh, you know, a lot of people said, oh, part of his technique was to say he forgot uh, various key conversations, which others uh, questioned by the inquiry have referred to. Well, that's a kind of technique. And, you know, the, the, the inquiry has uh, the evidence of conversations and WhatsApps and so on. But the clarity of the complacency uh, when uh, COVID was raging across Europe is what remains uh, unforgivable and then the repetition of that complacency in the early autumn of 2020. And um, the, the, this was such a spectacular failing. And people say oh, it's all in hindsight. You kind of, I remember bumping into people, certainly by late February, saying, what the hell is this British government doing? And uh, it was interesting watching Boris Johnson, where he sort of said, you know, it was a dilemma. And, you know, and by the way, this is the other thing. I think where Sunak is fragile is over all of this. Johnson is the past. uh, But Sunak and his role uh, in trying to deter Johnson from imposing these uh, necessary lockdowns uh, is going to be interesting. And the whole eat out uh, whatever help out but I was thinking again yesterday look casting my mind back to that period of late February early March do you remember when you know all, most other European countries had stopped public events and the UK it was all going ahead Cheltenham or whatever it was the, the races and there was a, a football match at Liverpool against uh, one of the big Spanish teams. I can't remember which one. And, of course, in Spain, it had been rampant, this COVID. And as you and, and the crowd, having heard Johnson say everything, you know, shake hands, carry on as normal. As usual, when Jurgen Klopp, the Liverpool manager, walked out, uh, kind of tried to mob him, you know, shake his, you know, kind of touch him if they were near where he was walking out. And he had to turn to them. Uh, and say, there's a pandemic on, keep away, keep away, there's a pandemic on. And and he was being more leaderly, trying to explain to these people what was happening than the British Prime Minister, who was uh, encouraging all of this. And it remains, it, to be honest, it, it was clear at the time that Britain was being dangerously led or not led at all. Everyone was left to decide for themselves whether they were going to risk their lives to attend public events or not. And of course, most people carried on as normal until they were told not to. Uh, so what a what a few days. And I'm sorry, these are just some quick reflections because there's a lot going on for all of us, I know. But early next week, we'll get together for, should we call it the normal podcast, but nothing's normal now, the abnormal regular podcast. And I will get back to some of the brilliant questions that I wasn't able to read out in full earlier this week. And they keep on flying in, so there's some more as well. So let's keep in touch on all fronts. Have a good weekend. And... God, yeah, we've got to gather very soon to make sense of it all. Who knows where we'll be by early next week. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye.